On April 30th, Nintendo released new Pokemon Snap for the Nintendo Switch, much to many Pokemon fans' delight. Finally, our collective cries have been answered. Back when the game was announced, though, I was surprised to see just how many people were confused as to why the title was New Pokemon Snap. Was there an old Pokemon Snap, they'd foolishly ask with laughing emojis? Yes. Yes, there was. But it was called Pokemon Snap, not old Pokemon Snap. Anyways, today on the show, we'll be taking a trip down memory lane and talking about the game that came out... Hold up. 22 years ago? Serious? Ugh. My name is Mark, I'm not old, and this is the Game Closet Project. In early 1996, Game Freak, a second-party developer for Nintendo, quietly released two new role-playing games for the Game Boy handheld console in Japan, Pocket Monsters Red version and Pocket Monsters Green version. The success of the games took both Nintendo and creator Satoshi Tajiri by surprise, and would eventually spawn a popular manga series, trading card game, and anime TV series. By late 1998, the West received their versions of the game, Pokemon Red and Blue versions, and by that point, Pokemon Fever was well underway and the brand exploded into popularity, and still remains as one of the best-selling IPs of all time. About a year before the original Japanese releases of the games, another game was under development by a company called HAL Laboratory, the creators of Kirby. HAL Laboratory was working on a game called Jack and the Beanstalk, which was supposed to be released on the 64DD, a disk system peripheral for the upcoming Nintendo 64 console. Originally announced in 1995, hardly any information about Jack and the Beanstalk exists. No screenshots or video of the game have ever surfaced, and besides the name, very little is known about it. According to the then-president of HAL Laboratory, Satoru Iwata, Jack and the Beanstalk was a normal game in which you took photos, but the motivation for playing the game wasn't clear. Once it was obvious that the game wasn't going anywhere, the team scrapped Jack and the Beanstalk and moved on to developing Pokemon Snap and another game called Earthbound 64, borrowing a lot of the original game's features and mechanics. Earthbound 64, however, would eventually meet the same fate as Jack and the Beanstalk, and Pokemon Snap, originally destined as a launch title for the ill-fated 64DD, would ultimately be released on the cartridge for the N64 in 1999. Evidence of Jack and the Beanstalk can be seen in Pokemon Snap during the title screen when you first boot up the game. The words Jack and Beans appear after the HAL Laboratory logo, which appears to have been the main dev team of the game working under HAL Laboratory at the time. Pokemon Snap was officially released in Japan on March 21, 1999, and on July 26 the same year in North America. Other regions would get their hands on the game in September the following year. In Japan, it was ranked the fourth best-selling game the first week of its release, and in the US, it sold more than 151,000 copies in its first three days. From July to September of 1999, it was the single most rented game at Blockbuster. By the end of the year, Pokemon Snap was the sixth best-selling video game in the U.S., selling more than 1.5 million copies. Critically, the game did fairly well and received mostly above-average and positive reviews, many reviewers calling it a refreshingly unique game. Even critics who weren't fans of the Pokemon brand in general seemed to really enjoy it, calling it addictive and a wonderful game for people of all ages. Pokemon Snap wasn't like other mainline Pokemon games that came before it. There are no battles, no starters, no gyms, and you don't even catch Pokemon. 
You play as the skilled Pokemon photographer Todd Snap, and yes, that's the actual name they gave him, who's been recruited by Professor Oak to help him with his Pokemon research. Instead of capturing the Pokemon and making them fight each other for money and fame, this time you're riding around in the Zero One, an all-terrain vehicle that takes you through various environments and allows you to snap pictures of Pokemon in their natural habitats. At the end of each run, you'd turn in your film, and Professor Oak would judge your shots and upgrade your vehicle and give you new technology to interact with the Pokemon in order to take better and better photos as you progress through the game. There isn't much of a story outside of building up to eventually snapping a picture of the mythical Pokemon Mew, who ends up being a sort of boss and final level of the game. Despite being 22 years old, Pokemon Snap is still to this day a very enjoyable and pretty unique experience. Although the controls haven't quite aged as gracefully as they could've, it wasn't much of a deterrent at the end of the day for me. Going on a Pokemon Safari ride and taking pictures of Pokemon just living their lives seems like it could be a pretty boring idea for a game on paper, but it's surprisingly deep and its replayability is ridiculously high. The only real critiques I have was that your all-terrain vehicle wasn't really an all-terrain vehicle so much as it was a rail cart on a track. It doesn't ever really change course except for a very few specific instances where you cause an event to happen that unlocks a not-so-secret part of the stage. The Pokemon within these stages also always acted the same and followed the same path and animations every playthrough. This actually makes it easier for you as a player to anticipate a great photo opportunity, but also makes the game feel a little more rigid than I would have liked. The items that Professor Oak gives you help out in that respect though, considering every Pokemon reacts to the usage of all those items in different ways and can be used to get a huge variety of shots. Each run you make in a game is scored by the Professor, and even by today's standards is a pretty impressive use of AI. Scores would vary on the size of the Pokemon you snap, the composition of the shot, and what pose you caught the Pokemon doing, so picking the best shots out of your maximum of 60 per run was really important. Depending on the score he gives you, you'd be able to unlock more stages and items to use during the game. The order in which the story progresses and items are given forces you to backtrack to past stages quite often, however, this never felt like an annoyance or a grind, as you'd be able to take new pictures of Pokemon in different poses, or access new areas that you couldn't before, or even evolve Pokemon. Something that the new Pokemon Snap doesn't do. During my 4 hour playthrough, I only encountered a few instances where the professor preferred a picture of one Pokemon over one that I personally thought was better looking. This wasn't too much of an issue though, since it was pretty easy to make up for the low score if you decided you really wanted the low scoring photo for the cool points your friends would give you. Pokemon Snap was one of the most marketed games of its time when it came out, and they even had a special promotional deal with Blockbuster Video. At select stores, there'd be a Pokemon Snap kiosk that you could bring your game cartridge to. Once you paid the $3 fee and loaded up your album from the game, you could print a sticker sheet of the Pokemon pictures that you took. Not only was this the first game in the US that featured 3D Pokemon, but it also was one of the first games that gave you a tangible item right from the game itself. As a 9-year-old kid, my mind was absolutely blown. During my most recent playthrough, I really was missing the ability to print and share my Pokemon pictures. Some of them were just downright cool looking and I wanted to share them. The game's design is fantastic. Yes, some stages look better than others, but in general, you were so caught up looking at Pokemon in friggin' 3D environment for the first time, you didn't really care if some of the textures looked bad. Even on my latest run, I didn't really care. Despite the polygonal textures of everything, the environments were still fairly rich and active with plenty to look at that was pleasing to the eye. The only major downside to the game is that it is a little bit on the short side. The main story can be completed in about 4 hours, whereas 100%ing the game takes a little longer, clocking in at about 6 hours on average. 
The game only features 63 out of the 151 original Pokemon. The Snake Pokemon Ekans was originally going to be included as the 64th Pokemon, but was cut from the final version for some unknown reason, despite being seen in the beta versions of the game. It would have made sense for Pokemon Snap on the Nintendo 64 to have had 64 Pokemon in it, but alas, we're left with 63. There was also supposedly two additional stages cut from the game, including a proper Safari-style stage and a Horror stage, which most likely would have added the three Ghost-type Pokemon, Ghastly, Haunter, and Gengar. We know this because the original music composer Ikuko Mamori released the unused Pokemon Snap music track she made titled Fantastic Horror and Theme of the Horror Boss on her website in 1999. The music for the game was great and fit each stage well, along with fitting in the overall Pokemon world in general. Voices for the Pokemon and Professor Oak were taken from the anime series and in some instances had unique lines recorded for Pokemon that had yet to be featured in the show. All in all, Pokemon Snap, although a short game, is a fantastically fun game that I thoroughly enjoyed playing and streaming. Not only is it fun to play, but watching the game is a joy as well. My girlfriend Sarah, who had not ever seen the game, watched me play it and enjoyed seeing all the Pokemon and the world that they lived in, despite not being the biggest Pokemon fan herself. The game was just as much fun for me at 31 as it was for me at 9 years old, which is pretty amazing given the surface level simplicity of the game. It's a great game to chill out to, and it's not overly complex or stressful, yet still engaging and entertaining enough to not get bored with over the course of an evening. Pokemon Snap certainly belongs in any N64 collection in my opinion, and at an average price of about $30 for the cartridge alone, it's a fairly affordable addition and offers a great bang for your buck in terms of playability and enjoyment, especially for a game that's 22 years old. Complete in box prices tend to skew a bit higher as expected with most N64 titles, sitting at around $140 on average. A bit pricey, but not bad if you're a stickler for original box and manuals as a collector. New in box territory is a little more out of reach for most, as a sealed copy recently sold for just a penny less than $3,000 on eBay. While it's a cool item for any collection, $3,000 feels like an unjustifiable cost for a game with such a short playtime. Though, I'd wager a person willing to spend $3,000 on a sealed copy of a game most likely isn't going to be opening it to play with anyway. And in my opinion, Pokemon Snap definitely deserves to be played, so go out there, Find yourself the $30 loose copy if you can, and give this a shot. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you happen to be listening or watching this on, and leave a review or a comment below. Share with your friends and tell us what game you want to hear about next. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TheGamePadPod, and we're on Facebook at fb.gg slash TheGamePad. If you want to watch me play the games that I talk about for this show, you can tune in at twitch.tv slash tgpmark. That's Mark with a C, by the way. The links to all of these and more can be found in the show notes below or on our website, thegamepad.tv. The Game Closet Project is a production of The Gamepad. Chica,